Welcome to SoulNet, a gathering space of spiritual discovery. I'm Dana. I'm Eilina. I'm Megan. And we are soul sisters who 30 years after high school found ourselves on a similar soul-led journey. We're here to offer our support as coaches and guides in our respective fields of movement medicine, Ayurveda, trauma-informed coaching, and forest therapy. We are opening our hearts and our soul network to you. We invite you to join us as we listen, share, and connect with other souls on the path. Join us in engaging discussion and deep listening as we share how nature, movement, meditation, and leaning into the hard spaces help us stay healthy and connected to ourselves and each other. Welcome to our intentional community as we grow and learn together. This is our soul net. Welcome. The why of how the soul net got together is that we shared our mutual heartbreaks and losses and triumphs with each other. And that's kind of what recreated the bond that we originally had. We all had a bond back in high school. But what I noticed, you know, with my boys now being in their 20s, my sons being in their 20s, is that those bonds are more temporary in our youth because we have so much going on uh, as we're learning. But to reconnect and rebond those bonds in midlife feels like something very sacred and special. And I feel like I can access younger parts of my psyche with old friends and feel really literally 17 again with the wisdom of a 50-year-old. I agree with that. I'm so grateful to reconnect with you guys so many years after high school. And I mean, we all experienced different forms of challenges and trauma. And when we reconnected, thanks to Eilina bringing us together, it is the walking through the path of pain, walking alongside our suffering that led us together and in this place of like feeling into what we're meant to learn on this path, right? What we're meant to learn, how we're meant to grow, sharing and speaking from the heart, from the soul space is what helps me to grow, like knowing that I'm not alone. And so that's been really special part of this soul network that we've created. I love that too, Megan. It really is the coming together and coming together in a place of recognizing our individual work and our individual journeys, like you said, and that it have, they haven't been easy paths for any of us, yet we do our work and we come together to share from a place that is, is healed or healing, I think is really special because it's really easy, you know, in the amounts of death and despair that is in the, the external world for us to stay in these kind of stuck places and feel overwhelmed and where to even begin. And the fact that the three of us have done that, you know, separate from each other, but a similar, a similar journey. And inviting the space for others to, you know, those that are kind of soul curious or, you know, recognize that maybe something isn't working in their life. A lot of us, I think, you know, recognizing that 
we're just not feeling that joy that we've, we, we, we were led to believe life was going to be about. And in fact, there's a lot of really, really hard stuff that, that for many of us started back in our, our childhood days. And I think that's that sacred bond that I noticed what we came, when we came together for that first time, you know, last year, just recognizing how much we were all going through in those childhood years that none of us knew anything about, even as close as we might have been as friends. And I think that is the reality that we know that people are going through these journeys that are many of us don't we don't really know you know what they're experiencing and so if we can come together and you know share this and like again in this really kind of healed space is is beautiful and I know that's what's been amazing for me that that same like-minded piece like I'm not alone in this we walk alone but we're not alone you reminded me of something that uh my son, who is part of the Gen Z, right after the millennial generation, each generation, you know, we're Gen X, kind of has its uh, nuances and idiosyncrasies and pros and cons. You know, our parents, the baby boomers, the the challenges they seemed to navigate is epitomized within a generation. And then ours had its kind of challenges and then millennials and then uh, Gen Z. And what I noticed for the Gen Z is although they have access to a lot of resources for trauma healing and uh, personal development. There's just so much information that uh, there's a, there's like an information overload and overwhelm and there's not the skill set to navigate all that, that stuff. Like it's kind of like shut down just because access to too much information and what, what of it is actually relevant to their own selves. Whereas for us, our generation experienced a lot of like, parents not being maybe even in the home because there was double income and it was like the the generation of excess where there was a lot of <laughs> parents working hard and and providing but the you know the, the emotional attunement for us was, was not necessarily there and then for that generation um you know, baby boomers, there was, there was a lot of use of substance and alcoholism and, and other things to just kind of numb the emotional pain that they didn't have resources for. So what I find unique for us is as we enter midlife, we're in this place in between where we're, we do have access to resources of emotional literacy and bringing that in uh, to address the pains of our ancestors, our, our parents' generation and grandparents' generation. And and see what our children are navigating, because all three of us are mothers of children of different ages and developmental stages. And I feel that we're in this unique place of like, as we're cycle breaking, literally in our own families, breaking these these unconscious patterns and and, and cycles, addressing each generation's kind of stop gaps and voids, and it, it just feels like a really special time to be alive and doing this kind of work. I know. I agree with that. And I, my kids are 12 and 14. I think it's through witnessing their souls come alive in the things that they do that bring them passion and joy that I realized there was a soul deep down in me that also could come alive and feel that joy. So it was like, for me, it was the opening when I would see through a child's eyes and through their experiences, I was able to remember this remembering of my own inner child, my own 
soul deep down below the layers of things that have happened right over the years. I love that, Megan. And I think often when we talk about like the spiritual awakening or starting to kind of lean into the dark places of ourselves where the, the shadow work of those areas that maybe we're not so kind to ourselves or we're not maybe kind to others. I think the the motivation of being a parent can often be the big catalyst before we find that within ourselves. You know, I remember a conscious parenting when, when my son, my son's 25. Um, but I remember when he was young and I caught myself doing the things that I remember feeling so small about when my parents did them to me and catching myself in those moments and saying, no, this, I, I get to do something different. And those are sometimes that start. And if sometimes we can't do it for ourselves, but that external motivation is what starts that little, that little light starting to come through where you're like, I may not have be ready to do it for myself yet, but my children are worth it. And then what happens over time is this builds is all of a sudden you start, you wake up one day and you're doing it for you with the recognition that when we heal ourselves, we help heal everybody around us. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Sister. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a simultaneous awareness that uh, as we're engaging with our kids and noticing our default patterns, um, like just unconscious uh, stress responses that we have that just our brain just goes, okay, this is how we'll deal with the situation because this is what we remember. (laughs) This is what I learned. This is what I know. (laughs) Yeah. And, but bringing in something bigger than that, the witness, which is the awareness to that pattern while it's happening it's like oh there's something right there's something happening here there's a ripple happening in my nervous system that feels like there's a wave coming through or there's something that just needs to be settled down or something that needs to be moved through ironed through whatever it massaged through helped through so how do we do that how do we like i i'm i love you guys so much because you offer so many ways to massage that and to work through that And together, that's what brought us together because we all have different practices. I'm just wondering Mm -hmm. if you can give me a little bit of a reminder of how to do that. Because right now, Dana, you can speak to what's happening in Mars and retrogrades and all the cosmic energy out there. Mm -hmm. But I also, you know, I know that that is having an effect on the mood Mm -hmm. of the The collective, collective. Mm -hmm. but also just like, what are you guys doing right now? I mean, I think on this podcast, we're going to dive into a lot of our history, training, our conditioning, our cycle breaking. We're going to dive into all of that. But maybe as an introduction to who we are, can we offer some of the ways right now that we're practicing how to massage that, how to work through that, those moments? What are you guys doing? I can speak to that on my history and then just also what I found recently that's a little different from my history. So my history has been to utilize somatic and body practices to to ground myself. So teaching yoga for 22 years and teaching people how to become yoga teachers and functional movement and functional range of motion movement and and finding your own edge within that range of motion and finding the um, appropriate challenge and living in that that zone of the edge is a beautiful practice. And at the same time, there was a, a bit of a divide, a bit of a fragmented divide between my physical practice and my spiritual practice. I had a bridge that was 
missing. It was trying to be built, but there was a few steps missing. And it's really only recently in the last maybe four to five years that I've been able to build that bridge to merge my spiritual and somatic practice together. Although I would feel that my yoga practice was a form of a spiritual practice, I was so focused on alignment and on like improving, bettering my system versus appreciating my system. Wow. That, wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's I, I feel that what has turned and shifted my practices, the ability to appreciate all the different layers that has built up me over 50 years. And we are these amazing little mini universes that we come into the world with these with a brand new nervous system that is like a little sponge going, okay, what is this world around me? And through trial and error, it's like we have to fail forward. We literally have to fail in order to move forward. And so many of us were brought up, especially myself, you know, tiger mom, very productive background, you know, Asian background of like high achievement that failure is bad versus like failure is learning and progress. And it's just such a shift in the energy of the word and the interpretation of it. So I would say that my history with a somatic physical practice was very performative, you know, kind of like a, a dancer that is pressured to produce beauty, right? There is beauty in that, but when the pressure is added onto it, there's some authenticity that gets lost. And also just the joy of process. Yeah, like being in the process and the joy of it. And that's been my shift now is that my somatic practice is about joy first in the body, Mm -hmm. which then connects me to my spiritual realm and practice so that I'm informed, like my, my nervous system is informed by a connection to spirit. And it's not so performative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, yeah. And if it is, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's so many people that can relate to that in terms of their practice. You know, I've always journaled. And that to me has also been like a spiritual, what I thought was a spiritual practice. But I realized too, in the recent years, it was when you're writing for someone else, it's performative. Mm-hmm. When you're writing a book or you're writing a piece or you're writing for business, whenever you're writing with someone else in mind, there's a performative element to it. It can still be your passion, but if it's not just coming from this deep place within and you're just pouring it out on the page for your soul's purpose, of being witnessed, of being heard, of being seen, just for you to see your soul, for you to see yourself. That is where the deeper joy and the deeper release, it becomes more spiritual in nature and more healing. So that really resonates for me too, as it might, because part of one of my favorite practices is writing. So, you know, that fail forward really speaks Mm -hmm. to me too. Like there's nothing attached to the practice. You cannot, there's no right or wrong. 
I also think it's really important to think about, as Elena mentioned as well, like it's a journey of the practices. And, you know, where I started is very different than where I am now. And I was very much about the body as, as a, a movement coach and, and trainer for years. And my journey has led me into Ayurveda as well and going back to school. Although I've always had that spiritual aspect as I've gotten older, the, the spiritual curiosity, that that calling within has taken me forward. And interestingly enough, you know, for years, I always coached from a place of movement first. And I think it's a really great gateway for people to build awareness. We know it builds proprioception of our own physical body and then how that body presents in and among around other energy bodies in the world. And it's a great tool and gateway for people. I found it wasn't enough anymore. Mm. When new clients come on board with me, the first place I would like to start, and it's always a personalized approach, but I find meditation actually would be the first gateway for some, especially for some of the things that people are struggling with out there, which is this collective anxiety, a lot of the mental health struggles and learning to actually step into that witness role. And we can achieve aspects of that through movement, but really the, the bulk of that comes through stillness and meditation teaches us to become comfortable with that quietude and that stillness and the silence that I experience and how that actually affects my overall physiology, how I meet myself with kindness around an aging body that mm. can still do all of these beautiful, playful things is amazing. And I don't know if I hadn't have embraced the meditation practice, if I would be where I am now in a place that I really I can honestly say I love and accept myself. And and you guys know my journey here. And as our listeners will unfold over time, too, I'm sure some of the stories will come out. But there was a lot of pain and a lot of not accepting or loving on me. And so meditation has absolutely opened that and opened my heart. What I'm hearing, Dana, too, for your experience is that meditation also helped ease you into finding comfort in the discomfort. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that, that overall acceptance of who we are, yeah. right? Like yeah. mm -hmm. the dark and the shadow. And, you know, yeah, okay, maybe I am an asshole sometimes. And being okay with that. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> the shadow side of us. So interesting, right? I mean, we are, we, that's what makes us so dynamic. I totally agree, Meg. And I, I want to share growing up with a, a father who was very aggressive and prone to anger and rage. It's been a long road to really learn to accept and befriend anger. And there is so much of that out there. Although it's what we would consider this low vibration energy, it also carries the beautiful, um, it's, a, it's a transformational energy. So if we can learn to actually become friends with it, acknowledge it, especially for someone like me that was a people pleaser and would shy away from anger, learning to embrace it and and utilize it to other things it's really kind of brought me closer towards this this sense of wholeness of like i'm okay whether i feel anger whether i feel grief whether i feel jealousy any of the the, the gamut of emotions that are out there i'm perfect as i am and these are part of the experience yeah what helped me develop a healthy relationship with my anger because I really feel it as healthy movement of energy in my system now, whereas I used to judge it, is that it's activating energy that is like, you know, those little flame starter bricks that you can buy that start a barbecue or start a fire? That's anger. It helps to start mm -hmm. movement of energy. And it's absolutely necessary to move forward. And it's a, and in the moment, it 
gives you the burst of energy necessary to either create a boundary or move in or move away. And it's actually necessary. If we can see anger as like, if it's happening in the moment that it's actually necessary, then the judgment ceases because why would we judge something that's actually needed in the moment? Kind of like, you know, in order to have a cup of water come out of the sink, it needs to be hydrogen and oxygen <laughs> together. They're necessary <laughs> for each other in order to have the water. So it's a, it feels, anger feels when it shows up organically, naturally, as it does in our daily life, it, it feels healthy to me. And when I'm working with clients and people and I help them to see how healthy their anger is in the moment, there's such a shift. And then the parts in us that do judge just to keep us safe, to fit into society, because you know we all have parts that evolve in our psyche in order to just have us work in our natural environment, then those parts can relax knowing like, oh, okay, it's just energy. It's just an emotion. It's going to move through the system. It's all good. It's healthy. It's kind of like um, uh, having gas after dinner. It just moves <laughs> oh through. Oh my God, yes. I mean, it's a bit big. It's a bit of an explosion. But um, what are you eating, Megan? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, no, no. I mean, not my, not my, not what comes out my that way. But my anger feels more like of an explosion than like gas after dinner. But I just want to say I love that so much. The fire, the visual for me is really powerful. Not the dinner part, but the the fire part. You know what I've recently really come to understand about anger is it's almost like a message, like a message that comes up from within, like a fire that comes up from within that sort of says, this isn't okay for me. This isn't a safe space for me. I think less about the person or the thing that's making me angry, less about that external factor and more about looking in, shining yeah. the light inside mm. and saying, why? Why is this making me angry? And what am I going to do to keep myself safe? And it's often about boundaries. So thank you for bringing that up. I think those two things for me really come together as a, as a way of managing my anger it's awareness, it's acknowledgement, it's then, but acknowledging what's, what it is doing inside of me. Why is this uncomfortable for me? And how can I, you know, keep myself safe? Boundaries. It feels like uh, anger is the natural consequence of our own mm -hmm. violation of boundaries, even unconscious. Uh, actually, it is unconscious when our boundaries are unconsciously violated, either by externals or internals, because it can happen both ways, then it's actually a healthy response to have anger because anger is a feedback of our nervous system saying, hey, yeah. hello. It is, it's, it is the feedback. <laughs> exactly. boundaries just go, and I love that. Healthy. I love that um, notation of going inward, right? Because it's really easy to say they made me angry. This door stopper cut me off when I was driving. It's all about him. Instead, it's like, it's not about that person cutting you off. Where are you when that person cut you off? What's going on for you, Megan? So that's such good self-awareness. Marianne Williamson said recently, we all are wounded, but we don't act from the wound in the world. And what you just referenced there, Megan, is exactly that. It's like, I'm feeling my wound, but instead of projecting that out onto other people, I'm going to tend to the wound myself with the tools that you've developed to witness, to move through these experiences. And we have a number of different modalities that we'll share over, over time with everybody. That's right. That's right.
I, I, I think that's what we're learning at this stage in our life in this and our soul net that we've created and gathered here. I think it's to witness each other yeah. as we travel, as we journey to witness each other and to hold each other, hold space mm -hmm. in this net, in this network. All of our experiences are going to be so different, but we can be here for each other and witness each other and, and see each other. And I think it's just so, so special and to offer little blessings or little ways that we can help each other, right? As we witness and go in and tend to the wounds. I feel that something might be interesting for our listeners is a reflection on how we experienced anger in our youth and how we experience it now, since we all have this history together. What I remember for myself was a lot of bypassing and dissociation from my anger. What I remember is being so trained to be aware of my parents' like emotional state to be res to respond to it. Um, particularly mom's volatility. So I was so attuned to that, that there wasn't room, there wasn't space for me to be attuned to my own emotional experience. So that my own emotions got backshelled and they were often inappropriate or just unsafe to express in the container of my family. So what I, what I observed for me was if I felt angry or upset about something, it was just like squash it. And then continue pleasing, like continue fawning was, was what I noticed about my uh, youth. And it took a lot of unlearning and unconditioning, <laughs> deconditioning, like decades. It's a process. Actually, so what was it's, that a like forever. it's a forever. It's a forever job totally. here, right? That's why we're here. We're here for you, girl. So Dana, what about you with your anger from youth to now? I'm similar to Elena in that I, you know, absolutely learned that anger was not safe. And so I would change myself to accommodate um, the rage that sometimes experienced in, in my home. Um, and I learned to, to quiet myself. And I think one of the biggest awarenesses that I've had on this journey was that I had a really, really hard time because of that, even knowing what I was feeling. So identifying these like, what are the deeper feelings beneath, you know, anger and what, what, what is the bigger language that I can actually use beyond this sad, happy expression. And I had a really hard time finding those. So I definitely bypassed movement has been a part of my life forever. So I have leaned hard into that. I ran away my divorce. Um, you know, that's, and then over time though, like as we grow, we learn that these practices no longer are taking us to that soul space. You guys will find out as well. I have had an illness journey, an autoimmune condition that led me to go deeper and deeper. So I would kind of ignore these things for a lot of years. And so now I'm in a place where, you know, I've developed a bunch of these different tools. I no longer run from the anger or any other emotions that are coming up. Mm -hmm. And I give myself space. I notice that, you know, I am very and always have been very intuitive and very much a feeler. So when I give myself the space to feel the sensations either coming up in my physical body or in those ways of witnessing when I'm responding in a way that isn't my authentic self, that something's out of balance. And so any of those feelings that constrict us are typically a sign that we're not in our authentic self. So that's the sign for me to go 
on a little bit of that inward journey. And there's a number of different tools that I would use for that. I have daily practices. And then when I'm going through something, even though my first tendency might actually be to still avoid it, I catch myself very quickly. So I will use old cruxes of like running away from it still. I will lean into junk food sometimes. I will lean into just pure avoidance. And then I'll go, oh, okay, it's time to time to go in. Like you all, I mean, I'm sure there's so many people out there that, you know, can relate. Like you guys, my anger was not permitted. That wasn't my place. I had a good daughter role to play. And I, as a result, really was left feeling like my emotions weren't validated. I was just do as I was told. And my mom and my dad, they had their own conflict when I was really young. And then my dad left when I was eight and my mom had a breakdown, but there was just no room for anybody else to have emotion. There was just like that they, my mom really was in charge of how everybody was to feel, which was basically to walk in her shadow. Um, I just felt like I wasn't heard or seen for so long that I wasn't, I guess the only gift I was given was to listen to my intuition. And I expressed my mm. anger as a child. I, I would write as a, I would also cry into my pillow. I, I learned to go and hold myself at a really young age. So even though in mm. my family home, my feelings were not validated, my, um, my anger, my sadness. So I wasn't allowed to be those things. So I learned to hold space for myself and I walked a dark road, a dark path in that I felt very alone, but my, my soul held me, my soul guided me down that path. And I finally found healthy ways to channel all of that emotion. And I realized really early on that I couldn't depend on somebody else to hold me in those moments. I had to hold myself. So in that, there was so much pain and so much loneliness. But then on the flip side, I learned really young how to hold myself and to, like I didn't look externally for the validation. I don't know that I would have survived if I was only looking externally. So, but mm. maybe the gift was that I was so young. So that just shows you the power of your soul yeah. self holding you and guiding yeah. you. I just surrendered. I had no alternative, mm. you know, but I mean, I'm, I'm unlearning and I'm doing all the things too. And that's why we're here. But I think that for anyone out there who, uh, anger and, emotion was not validated from a very young age. I think that um, we can sit in gratitude for our own soul strength, our own guidance, our ancestral guidance that's always available. The collective consciousness, the collective it's consciousness. always available yes. to us, right? Yeah, beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. As a child, you don't, you just, you're just in a, mm. you just surrender to that. It's just there. It's all of the 
yearning for the external validation that then takes you out of that space. That's beautiful. That's so inspiring, Meg. I stayed in that external validation space till my 40s until I had the courage to divorce. (laughs) So it was a longer lesson for me. (laughs) That's very inspiring to have that um, occurrence in childhood because that's really connecting to your, as you called it, soul self, this higher self that guides and is the mother, is the father, is, is the like archetypal mother and father that our own parent who's navigating their own wounds cannot access in that in those moments. I wonder, just hearing you say that, I wonder if it was the fact that my dad was gone out of my life at an, and then my mom mm. departed. Um, my mom had a breakdown mm-hmm. and she was hospitalized for a few years. So I was then, like I literally lost the mother and the father role like the people that played the role in my life were no longer there so maybe again you 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 instinctively intuitively you connect to the archetypal archetypal mother and father yeah without even knowing because because i was because you were orphaned literally i think many people can probably relate to being and Mm -hmm. feeling orphaned yeah even when the parent structure is still present but I think yes. what, what was different for me yeah. was that I was literally orphaned. And and then and then yeah. your survival instinct kicks in and your That's soul right. is guided by mm-hmm. the collective consciousness. The collective consciousness. Amazing. Yeah. That's which so inspires your writing too. You know, Dana and I can mm-hmm. see that and all of your readers can see that. I mean, you basically created for children what you needed when you were a child through your book, Hard Compass. Like, it's very inspiring. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. And, you know, it's in, in our work when we do connect. I mean, it's through you guys too, right? When we connect here and we can have these types of conversations, we then, you know, I'm, I'm always inspired by each of your journeys. They inspire mine right? It, it, it holds me to a place of really listening and tuning in. So that when I do write for, for my inner child, and then I, you know, able to share it with other children in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's why we gather here and hold space for each other so that our work is able to reflect the voice of our soul. And that we can walk alongside each other as soul sisters. I think it's fascinating that, you know, this inner child, and I, I see the irony of us being in our 50s or entering our 50s. That's a whole other pod <laughs> turning 50. Is it fabulous? Exactly. I don't know. We'll let you know. <laughs> I did want to speak a little bit to that in the inner child conversation, because I feel like this has been in the collective yeah. so strongly in all of my circles and those are the work circles those are the friendship circles and this is this we are collectively moving through these wounds of our childhood so that you know hopefully we can move forward into creating a a different world out there that doesn't have these same level of um, wounds we can show up as healed instead of wounded what I'm noticing is like it's almost embarrassing for me to uh, it feels like I've been in personal development since 
21 years old. And that in the last three or four years is when I really connected to my inner child. Part of me says, what the hell was I doing before that? <laughs> like, Where's the functionality in that? But I could see how I've had a very progressive journey. And it's it's not to belittle the previous work I've done. It's just that I had to have those layers in order to to generate the momentum that I have now, because there's a lot of momentum now. But I can honestly say that it's really in the last five years that I've actually addressed the energetic limitations of my limiting beliefs from childhood. And when I say energetic limitations, how it actually limits my behaviors and responses in current moment life. Mm -hmm. Because it's one thing to cognitively understand, like uh, the traditional psychotherapy has us cognitively understand our past, but it also has us rehash everything and, and kind of stay in the pattern of validating our, our past behaviors, but kind of repeating them in a, in a way and not necessarily verbatim, but like very attached to the past constructs, you know, like, like there's a ceiling and that's all I'll be able to, you know, because of the continual rehashing. And so what I'm noticing is it's really in the last three or four years that I've been able to break out of the, um, uh, it's like a, a concrete mold. And I thought mm-hmm. that's all there ever was. And, and the cracks have now come into the concrete mold. And I'm like, whoa, there's an entire universe beyond this concrete mold. Like, what the hell? Woo! <laughs> I love that. I love your visuals. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> so good. There's a whole other field of possibility. Mm-hmm. And because of my past, my work is to, when I access this field of possibility, use it to return to those who've who feel trapped or disempowered by the similar forces I experienced. That's it. That's the whole point of my life is just to keep returning to those who it's not that my life is completely of service because it it benefits me to return to those because it creates an income and supports my lifestyle and uh, <laughs> you know supports my family but um, also energetically but, it's probably feeding nourishing you too right this like absolutely. this idea of like yeah, yeah. like being in service is mm-hmm. an act of generosity yeah. of spirit so when you return and you're able to yeah. give it it just it's like that it's a reciprocal yeah and it's not just my identity i'll just finish up on that it's it's like before my identity was, you know, mother, wife, uh, healer, uh, yoga teacher, uh, teacher, leader, like I was so attached to the identity. Mm-hmm. But what's different now is like, oh, I'm an energetic being that's going to be gone from this planet in about 30 years. So here's playtime. Here's this field, quantum field over here that I can access. And when I do return back to the energy that has a pain body to it, as mm-hmm. Eckhart Tolle kind of describes, mm-hmm. and and funnel what is on the quantum field back into <laughs> the pain body field, and just keep that kind of ebb and flow going mm-hmm. until my last breath. Well, that's where that's where your practices come in, right? Your practices yeah, go yeah. up from from the energetic field that you describe back into daily life, and it's this constant yes. flow. And if you're if you're not going, going, rising up into this Mm -hmm. higher frequency space and recovering, 
then how are you staying healthy in the in the day to day right you need that that you need that ebb and flow and that's where our practices come in and i love the you know hearing the call to service cuz i absolutely i feel the same way and it's become very very clear to me and i if i look at my history i've always done a role of teacher of some sort in the way of coaching and it's evolved over time. And now I can confidently say this is this is my dharma is like, how can I serve? And you're a thousand percent right. Like it's actually quite selfish because how I feel when I give is um, I love to receive, too. There's no no doubts about that. But the rewards that I feel when I actually yeah, I'm of service and can help anybody that goes for, you know, my friends, that goes for my clients, that goes for someone on the street. And I think these mm-hmm. levels, compassion and caring, and we can when we can learn to heal ourselves, we can show up and do that for others. If we're not in a great place on the inside, we're not able to show up from a really um in an authentic place for others, right? Then we're showing up as our people pleasers or our other um, roles that we're playing. But when we understand that level of service and what we're here for um, as part of a collective, we can really show up well for everybody, including ourselves. That's right. That's right. That's what we're here for. That's what this pod is all about. And we're, I think, can I offer something as a way like just to wrap it up a little bit for our pod listeners what we all do so well again and being in service to ourselves and each other is to offer little blessings offer meditation offer movement you know pieces that we can take away as ways to help us right as ways to keep us going i would like to offer words from rumi oh I hope they land. I hope they land as as beautifully on your heart as it does in mine. As Rumi says, put your thoughts to sleep. Let them not cast a shadow over the moon of your heart. Drown them in the sea of love. Right? Keep our hearts open. Put your thoughts to sleep. Let them not cast a shadow over the moon of your heart. Drown them in the sea of love. Woo! Drown, drown in the sea of love, sisters. (laughs) Great last line. Very beautiful. It's a great reminder to... uh, Beautiful, Megan. Yeah. Right? To immerse ourselves uh, that we are our own source. We are our source. we are our source. Yeah of love, Mm -hmm. loving energy. Mm -hmm. And that's what we are hoping to create in the soul net. So with that. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thank you all. Thank you everyone. Love you.